0: Hi everyone and welcome to Fashion Talks, the pod- podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion and I'm your host, Donna Bishop. And I'm joined today by two fantastic guests, we're going to have such a dynamic conversation. Joining me is Gillian Vieira, fashion editor of The Kit and previously at Flair Magazine among other Canadian publications. Welcome, Gillian. Thank you for having I'm me. I'm so excited because I love The Kit. I love how rich it is on digital as well as print. I think that makes it really contemporary. Oh, so. so happy to hear that. Love that. And Joining us also is Alexis Hans. Alexis is an on-air fashion expert and stylist and dresses many TV personalities and has worked with media outlets and brands such as CTV, E, Mac Cosmetics, Virgin Mobile, CBC, Budweiser, as well as editorial publications such as Toronto Life, Dress to Kill, and One Magazine, and also has worked with Vogue Italia. Ooh, Super yes. cool, Vogue Italia. Yes. <laughs> it was amazing. super cool. That's so cool. <laughs> so before we get into the meat of our discussion about, today we're talking about the democratization of fashion. Um, I want to start with my first question is, please tell us about a moment where fashion changed your life or made a real impact on you. And Alexis, I'm going to start with you.
1: Okay. Well, I don't have a super fun answer here. It's honestly that I've just seen my mom as, I grown up, as I've grown up, and she's just always had one style. So she kind of knows, you know, more than we do about how you don't have to try everything to get your own style. So just seeing her, she always did monochromatic, so that's actually been really impactful in the way I style. One that's color really head to cool. toe. That's really cool. Very hmm. impactful. I feel like I'm doing it too much. It's almost my, I have to, like, break out of it sometimes. And then she always had lipstick. So it's just that kind of confidence in her style and the fashion of it that kind of made that impact on me. I've always just looked back to her... As like the moment I thought, oh, you know what? I love fashion. I love style, and I've always mm-hmm. tried to like, maybe be like her. <laughs> I love that you're
0: the first yeah. person to reference your mom. Yeah, it's oh, moment, I love that. It's just more of a
1: lifetime of seeing her, and she owns this one style: big accessories, monochromatic um, looks, and uh, yeah, I love it. It's
2: oh, amazing. go, Mama Huds! Yeah. What about you, Jillian? I think for me, um, it was probably my grade eight graduation. Me and a family friend. Um, Designed, I say that in quotes, designed um, this red satin halter dress, floor length. Um, It was my last time designing something, but I felt so amazing Mm -hmm. in it. No one at my prom or grad was wearing red, and I was the only person. And it made me feel special and that it can really define moments for you. So I love that. Your
0: first and last designer experience was a public appearance. Never again. Never again. Yeah. So let's get into the discussion about the democratization of fashion, which sounds very kind of heady and esoteric. Mm -hmm. But I think it's I think it's really juicy because really it's about accessibility. And I think there are kind of three main buckets where we see that democratization, which is the mixing of high-end brands with low-end mm. ones, the mass accessibility of the runway show, and the high-end diffusion lines, Ella, Target, and H and M. Because what I think all of these things have in common is they took fashion out of the hands of the ultra-rich and the celebrities and put them in the like in the heads and hearts and wardrobes of of women anywhere on the, you know, economic scale. So I think that's Mm -hmm. really exciting. Um, And I'd say they kind of evolved in that order. What do you guys think? Like starting with the high-end mix and then diffusion lines kind of came out of that and the runway accessibility, kind of those two things kind of happened at the same time, I'd say. I would
2: say so too. Yeah, I think it was the magazine covers and we had talked about, you know, the epic one from Anna Winter, her first Vogue cover.
0: Yeah, in nineteen in nineteen eighty eight, when she put a Christian Lacroix uh, sweater with guests jeans, Mm -hmm. which was... Which was shocking. Which was totally (laughs) shocking. And what I think, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jillian, because what I think is so interesting about that is the 80s had so many things converging at once. Like we had the birth of MTV. We had the birth of our own fashion television with Jeannie Becker. We had the Oscars having a pre-show that was fashion-focused for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then we have Anna Wintour take over at Vogue and put this really fresh controversial, practically, cover-on that gave people permission to mix high and low-end brands. And is that something that you think has stuck around, Alexis, like in your experience of styling?
1: Mixing the high and the low? Yeah. I think it's needed now, actually, in most jobs. I find, let's say, styling people on TV, it's also about being approachable. And people want to share where they got their stuff and they don't want to seem elitist as well too so it's fun to mix and match it's also about finding styles so i really i shop i start at the high end so i'm not shy to say that i do for most people on tv or for tv shows but they don't have a wide range of styles so Actually, myself, even, I'm like, you know what? There's not a lot of ruffles because it's a lot of basics up there because people are investing a lot of money for these basic pieces. They're not going too crazy in the design. So you actually have to go to those lower-end brands to get the mix of styles in your wardrobe. And there, you can't beat it. There's how many micro-seasons? Like, every week, That's 52 micro-seasons. Yeah. The so death they can't the compete. To, like, so if you're going to refresh your closet, especially today with Instagram and everything, you have to do the mix Um But everyone still wants that Gucci purse and stuff. So they are saving for those few pieces. Um, But definitely in styling for magazines they want to mix now. You couldn't even bring Zara to shoot Years ago, now you can bring Zara to shoots because you want to be approachable and ha- also have the mix. So things are changing. Do
0: brands mind that they're being mixed? Like you don't, you don't need to name names. But if I am a no. luxury brand, do I mind that I might be we, styled with? We a, both could
1: talk about this yeah. one. <laughs> with a with
0: a lower brand, and I should say that we're talking about high end and low end. That really is defined by price. It's mm-hmm. not defining like style or you know. A quality or anything
2: like that. I feel like even in recent years, brands, the really big, big name brands, were coming back and saying, you know, we want full look, full look only. And that includes everything from the tights to the socks to the earrings. And it had to all be that. Um, And now I think people are sort of realizing that it's not... that's not unique. It's not special. It's not the way real people wear clothes. They mix in things and put their own spin on things. So I think I've been finding a lot of brands on my, and kind of moving away from that. And I think that's appreciative. Like, you know, for, at least for my readers, our younger readers, no one's going to buy an entire, you know, you know Gucci, Gucci wardrobe, or Dolce, yeah. you know, it's just not something that they do. So I think you're, you're reaching a, Wider audience by doing that and allowing publications to do that.
0: Well, that's what I was just thinking. Is the readers must be influencing the brands and and saying, you know what, we don't we don't want to see all of that you know, single brand one look. We want the dynamicness, the the styling that is a little more um, contemporary, a little more accessible.
2: Yeah. And I think even for me, I mean, obviously I'm an obsessive magazine reader mm-hmm. and yeah. some of the most exciting, satisfying pages to me when I'm reading other publications are those super high-low mix. You know, you can get the same thing for $1,200 and then, you know, almost as beautiful and yeah. A similar thing for about 50. So I think those are really satisfying and I think readers really resonate with that. And I think, again, um, you know, as we sort of move through this fast fashion kind of uh, movement, I suppose, um, people are still craving authenticity. And so there is that high, low mix. You know, there's something that you want to save, you know, for months and months to get but also feel okay pairing it with your H&M tank top and Levi's jeans. Yeah.
0: Do you find that with the personalities that you dress, Alexis, that they are looking for that high-low mix as well, or are they just looking, oh, she's smirking, if only...
1: <laughs> 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 Don't you want to know. But, but, you know I point.
0: mean, it must depend on the person, but is that something that you're finding you're bringing into your styling because there is strategy and, and there's personal branding that's behind it that you're trying to you know help your clients develop
1: well I think a big part of why fashion has become accessible too is that like you're saying Jelena about people want style and when you have one look head-to-toe you're really that brands look you're not really yourself so people enjoy breaking it up Mm -hmm. so when I'm dressing people for TV I'd say majority of them want a mix they might not want to know where each piece you know is from so they don't want to know maybe it's H&M but they're okay with it because. They want maybe a certain neckline, and that's not available with a designer. Right. Like I said, I started at the top. Then there are people that do like high end, head to toe all the time. But those people are living large in every aspect of their life, so they're you know they're running shoes or Gucci or something. Right? They're not not no part of their life is a high low mix. So mm. I do find majority do like a, a a mix of high end and low end. But as long as it gets them the look they want, so they're mm-hmm. okay with going going with a mix and again just more about accessibility and stuff and just dealing with budgets with tv shows too it's been a humble i'm so glad we can mix and match you know yeah because we're making it happen you get them fabulous louboutin shoes and they're happy to wear you know jeans from the regular store at the mall and
0: do you get feedback from from audience either you know through the people you dress or maybe even on the Marilyn dennis show directly where they really the people love to see that like
1: Okay, people like to see what they can afford for sure when they're watching segments, let's say. Um, but then we also have people that can afford higher, so we, that's why we have to give them the mix. I think it's just to cr- reach more people. Mm-hmm. Um, is why we try to give a little bit of mix there. Um, but I it's f- really about creating that final style that is unique because that's really what it's all about these days. Is kids want to mix and match and see how celebrities are wearing it, which is a huge yeah. driver, I think, in terms of making it accessible.
2: I feel like sorry. sorry I feel no, like someone who does it really well. And um, at a previous publication, we did a a cover shoot with Olivia Palermo. And Ah. she almost, you know, not demanded, but demanded that we really do that high-low mix so on the cover she had like a gorgeous altizzara skirt suit but underneath it was a gap red tank top oh that's Um, interesting and she talks about that and and it was important when i interviewed her for the cover she said you know my friends are people like tibby and um all these like local kind of contemporary new york designers um and she also saw that as an opportunity to expose them and, and give them that amazing exposure that only she can. So I think it's also a conscious choice for some, you know, uh, style icons like Olivia.
0: That's very cool because I think one of the most one of the first high profile moments where a celebrity mixed the high low. I mean, none of us were working at this time but I remember mm-hmm. in at the 1996 Oscars when Sharon Stone came in like a black gap muck turtleneck with her ball gown. And it was like, whoa, Sharon Stone wears (laughs) Gap to the Academy Awards. But it made her so relatable. Like, she...
1: You know, it it really helped with her
0: personal brand, I think.
1: And it surprised people. I always say, if you surprise them, you catch their attention forever. Oh my gosh, no kidding. I think she gave people confidence, like, you know what, I have that in my closet. I can look just as fabulous as Sharon Stone. So it really did, I think, give women confidence. And also just, style doesn't have to be so thought out. She probably threw it together. Maybe yeah. with the stylist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, Hopefully. you know, threw it together, and you know, it was attainable because people could go buy that piece. You know, yeah. they can't afford all the designer pieces, but now they can have a you know a glimpse of it, and they can have it in their closet.
0: Well, and that attainability, like. Segues perfectly into the whole phenomenon of the high-end diffusion line. Mm-hmm. Like Isaac Mizrahi was really one of the fir- was was the first to do it with Target in 2002, and I remember when that came out and people it was kind of like with a cocked head and a raised eyebrow that people were like Isaac Misrati's doing a collection for Target <laughs> like WTF. But clearly it it resonated with people and H and M jumped on the bandwagon mm-hmm. very quickly in 2004 with Karl Lagerfeld like doing their first. high-end diffusion line. How has, do you think those things have helped with brand development? Has it helped with that high-low mix? Like, is it a natural extension that way?
2: I would say so. And I think the most obvious, you know, reaction to it is you see those lineups. You see the people who are paying people to stay in line for them overnight to grab those sorts of things. Um, And I think it's been sort of a mutually beneficial relationship in terms of, well you know the person who's actually buying those things H&M or Target and the actual designer everyone's kind of benefiting and I think making fashion accessible and democratizing it is only making I think you know and maybe you guys can speak to this too but I think fashion sometimes gets a bad rap and I think we have sort of moved away from that in the last few years and I think having those diffusion lines has definitely you know given that lit, lit a fire a little bit, I'd say. It definitely gives the brand buzz yes. Whoa. with the Instagram posts, the lineups,
1: all the magazines write about them mm-hmm. coming up. Um, so I think there's definitely a bunch of buzz. I guess it's still up in the air how great they are for the brand in the long term mm-hmm. let's say when i've been doing my research um but i think it's just a marketing tool tool they're not worried about sales they know it's going to sell out but they know you know what what's a quick way we're going to get paid to get word yeah. out like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> normally Truly. we have to pay for advertising and this is actually done for them they make money and then they and they're hopefully reaching a new customer that might not be able to afford them right now but will be able to afford them later so it's a great introduction i mean i'm Imagine how happy you'd be if you owned a piece Karl Lagerfeld might have oh, approved. Oh, seriously. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they are creating that moment of fashion that maybe that's what they would answer if they were doing this podcast. Mm. Um, that was the moment they fell in love, you know. So I think it is, it's beneficial for sure. I think that there's hits and misses. I'm in the Absolutely. store all the time. And while they sell out, there are lots of returns. And mm-hmm. there's also that whole other world where is it accessible because people are buying them? But you know, people are smart. they're going in then they're selling them on eBay. Yeah. So you yeah. know there's a whole other kind of, you know, problem with it that could occur. But otherwise, I think it's honestly just good for the brand in terms of buzz because they're getting so mm-hmm. many posts. I can only imagine.
0: Well, and I think it made Karl Lagerfeld in particular look incredibly contemporary and, oh, totally. you, know, uh, you know, ahead of the curve in yeah. terms of understanding where the industry was starting to move. And it really, I mean, he's such an icon. He didn't really need refreshing, but I think it <laughs> gave him a bit of a modern... um Flair that, you know, maybe not that he was losing, but it made a very classic designer get a boost of really contemporary thinking perceptively, I think. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that, I mean, I think through all different parts of the industry, we're kind of feeling it's this fast. I feel like we're on this um, treadmill that's just going so, so fast and you have to keep up. And I think that was a way for him to to keep up and to keep up with, you know, the Instagram crowd and before that the Facebook crowd and um, I think it's important to, to sort of try anything especially when you know you're maybe more associated with an older generation.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's about uh, kind of getting in with the cool kids. Yeah, they're the, they're <laughs> the ones that are going to be the next big names yeah. and they're wearing and mixing and matching their H&M so if there's a collaboration there, it it, it does give them a little bit of hype because the people that are 40 Chanel or something, Um, you know, few and far between compared to the cool kids who are kind of mixing and matching it. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and I think some of those lines have been more successful in terms of sales and design than than others. Like you need only Google, you know, H&M collaborations. And there's all kinds of people who will rank the ones that they think Mm -hmm. are the most successful to to maybe less so. And I think I'm going to double check this. But as I was doing the research for this, I think The Weeknd is doing something with H&M. Yeah, yeah, is it out there? I, yeah, I think I, I saw something hear. just this morning. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. which is interesting because I think that's the first like personality as opposed mm-hmm. to designer. That they've collaborated with, yeah, true. Shout out to Canada. Yes, love the weekend. Love the weekend in H and M. But getting back to what you were saying, Jillian, about how the you know you're keeping up with like the Instagram followers mm-hmm. and you know bloggers and stuff like that. What I think is so because I think you're absolutely right, and that's another really cool convergence that I think has happened mm-hmm. is you know the and you guys can certainly speak to this. The runway show at Fashion Weeks, in particular, you know like New York, Milan, Paris, London, mm-hmm. was a you know ivory tower of the most exclusive variety. Like you couldn't, you know, beg, borrow, or steal your way in. And in 2003, we started to see bloggers, like, sitting in the front row of of fashion weeks. Like um, Budget Fashionista, I think, was one of the first ones to go. And then, of course, there was uh, Style Rookie with Tavi a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And so all, yeah, so all of a sudden, the window into runway shows got smashed, got smashed open. open.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I, I think what's great about it is that before that, we were seeing clothes in a store. We'd have to maybe look up the brand to kind of know who they are. But this was a direct, you know, link. So you could watch. And this is where the designer tells their whole story of who they are. So all of a sudden you're watching that. So you get their whole vibe. And then that's what you can take back when you are shopping and where you can maybe off the collaborations or even their diffusion lines. And that's when you can take what that you want from the brand to create your own look from it. So I think that's what's really cool. Mm -hmm. So you just see you can see yourself exactly how the brand is portraying themselves instead of through magazines and and that kind of view as well.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, you're saying it was opening up to bloggers and when you're speaking about Tavi, like what was she? I don't know, like twelve years. She's (laughs) only (laughs) twenty one now. Oh god. Makes me shudder. Yes. But it it was opening up to age and experience and different perspectives and I think that's what was really interesting obviously there was the backlash and you know the whole I forget I'm I can't quite recall when the whole tabby wearing the massive hat front row so people behind <laughs> her in the second and third row couldn't see yeah um, obviously there's some kinks to work out there but I, I do find it really interesting and it's evolved so much now too and I think with the advent of the camera phone that just Blew everything apart. You know, you could see things instantly. You didn't have to wait for the photographer pit to send it over to their editor, upload it to the internet. Totally. You'd see it right away. And... Um, I think I can't even imagine what it's gonna be like going forward. We just you just can't imagine what the technology or how things are gonna evolve and it's exciting and scary at the same time. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I was I was at a fashion show recently and I've had this thought over the years about how because everyone is on their phones, the finales get so quiet. Yes. Like it used to be, you know, <laughs> thunderous <do>. applause <laughs> from the moment the last That's model so walks true. out they and do. now it's like everyone's got their phone and then it's like, oh right, polite. Clap clap clap. clap I can clap, absolutely
2: Tested that. I think a lot of people are taking the phones and maybe clapping on their thigh with one hand. <laughs> yeah. um, it is really quiet, and I think at least for me, I try to to take that moment and, and actually take them in. Because what's the point of going to a show if you're not actually taking in the atmosphere or the mood or how some you know incredible editor is looking at a certain piece? So at least for me, I try to like put down my phone. Know that those photos, probably better photos, are going to be on the internet (laughs) very soon, Um, (laughs) and really just sort of understand what the designer was trying to project for that season.
0: Well, I think that's a it's an interesting point because maybe you know part of the curse of democratization is there becomes such a commodity commodification of the production of the runway shows that it starts to get taken for granted and it just becomes a. A moment of entertainment as a mo- as opposed to a moment to really appreciate, as you both are saying, the like vibe of the designer and their vision mm-hmm. and what they're trying to create. And I mean, we can certainly see that, you know, Chanel still does these like opulent shows out crazy. of, you know, airplanes and, and crazy stuff. So there's still the ivory tower, as it were, of fashion somewhere mm-hmm. but you know it, it so much work goes into those fashion shows that i i almost feel bad for the directors sometime cuz or directors designers i should say cuz i'm like you should hear like the appreciation <laughs> from the crowd it's like snaps on instagram is nice but yeah. you know it's a live it's a live moment. Yeah, a There's moment. such energy yeah, in
2: the room, right? Your first, a right? human, a human interaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. would be appreciated I feel like from time to time. Totally, yeah. right? Totally.
0: So I wonder like I'm I'm curious about how the runway presentation is going to going to evolve.
2: I think so too. I think you've been finding at least for me they've been getting in some cases more and more exclusive and in other cases just blown wide open. I was I was at the Topshop Unique um, show maybe last season or two seasons ago, and it was in the middle of Spitfield's Market. So everyone who was shopping for you know produce could watch the show and so oh, it, that's so cool. it was really special in that way you know everyone got to sort of participate and take their own photos whereas you know something like oscar de la renta where they have their new designers from monts are kind of making it even more exclusive so i think there's this sort of range in the designer world of how they want to approach the runway presentation
1: Yeah.
2: what do you think it's like i think this
0: has it's expanded who's part of the fashion community you know, like if the fashion community used to be a very small, intimate group of designers, yeah. models, and, you know, a few production people, now the fashion community is is anyone with a camera.
1: Well, and everyone has a say now. Their opinion kind of counts, at least to their small group, if it's on Instagram, the following, or whatnot. But everybody has a say, which is really awesome. And... Um, Do you find, as a
0: stylist, that people want to... Um, you know obviously they want to be a part of their look but do they ask you to alter clothes sometimes not for fit but do they say could we fix the
1: neckline or all the time oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah the main thing people do is they go through the store let's say they try and they go you know what this blouse would have been perfect if this puff shoulder wasn't there so um, you know they do people know what looks good on them over time as well too so I, I do alter things you know Actually, that's my thing, I think, on set. You know, I even turn shirts backwards and wear them backwards if you have to um, for different styles. So definitely people alter the clothes to their own liking nowadays, too. So they don't Mm -hmm. even want the piece as it comes sometimes.
0: Jillian, do you think one day we might see brands collaborate on runway presentations together? Like, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm asking you to look into your fashion crystal ball. Yes. But I'm just I'm just wondering if, you know, that's something we'll see in the future is the, the 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 runway show not being a singular brand. But
2: maybe we'll start to see that mix on the runway. Potentially. I, I think I mean, talking about a crystal ball you know we can't even predict what's going to happen in the next quarter i find these days everyone's sort of throwing everything at the wall and I, I don't think that something like that's off the table i think especially um you know those sort of mall brands a lot of them are hurting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh so it's it's interesting i think that definitely has a possibility and the other thing is that runway shows are expensive and i think a lot yeah, of people that is no joke when it, we know when we're when I'm talking to people who aren't in the industry, they kind of assume it's a hour-long ordeal, and when I tell them it's usually seven minutes, they're they're you know <laughs> aghast, right? Um, and and knowing how much time and the casting and the fittings go into it, I think it's an interesting opportunity maybe for brands who don't have that kind of cash flow to really um, get their product out and their message out. And we'll
0: produce it. New idea. Being born. right here. here. (laughs) Call
2: us. (laughs) Call
1: us.
0: Yeah. Um, This has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for the conversation. Uh, I like to end the podcast the same way each time, which is asking you if you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life, climate notwithstanding, what would it be? Jillian, what would you wear?
2: So I'm kind of known for wearing slip dresses, even in the coldest of times. I feel like Alexis can attest to that. <laughs> I'm surprised she's not wearing one right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I was in New York Fashion Week. Right. I think it was two seasons ago, and it was probably minus 20, mm. and I decided to wear a slip dress. It was a leather jacket, a long leather jacket over top. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'd probably say some sort of, you know, silky slip dress with a duster coat and some little booties or something. Yeah.
0: Awesome. What about you, Alexis?
1: Okay, well, all I know is it definitely... I will, i love pants so you're in the dress i love pants so i think and i love shapes of clothing so i think i just pick a really amazing pair of culottes or something a wide leg cropped pant i love booties too a killer mm-hmm. booty something crazy from come to garçon or something i was just amazing thinking shapes. of come to garçon when you said you like shapes of i do i just i think that's the most fun is when you play with shapes with clothing um but definitely yeah so some amazing blouse with structure wide leg pants and uh, a great booty and they did an H&M collaboration I remember there was a jacket that I never got. That I wish I got. That is my rule. If you see something you like in one of those fast fashion stores because they go so fast, you mm-hmm. have to buy them.
0: Well, yeah, because they don't produce many items, right? No. Like what's on the shelf is often like what's there. If yeah. you come back tomorrow, it's gone. Gotta and you to be line. like me still
1: thinking about that jacket. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's on eBay
0: somewhere. <laughs> Guys, True. thank you so very much. This was an awesome, awesome discussion. If people want to find out more about you or follow you, Jillian, where can people find you? Um,
2: it's my name at Jalene Vieira. It's a hard last name, so. Make sure there's two eyes in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Alexis? Uh, me too. I love Instagram the most, so that's probably the best place to follow me. And it's just my name as well, Alexis underscore Haunts. Awesome. And you can
0: follow me at This is Donna B. And I want to say a big thank you to CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, who's our partner with this podcast. And you can find out more about CAFA at CAFA Awards, that's C A F A W A R D S. And a wonderful thanks to our sound engineer, Paolo Fugiuelli. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, please tell your friends about it. It really, really helps to get the word out there. And if you feel inclined, please subscribe and give us a high five on iTunes. Until next time, this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks.